brand new series today. Yes. Called Re-Reimagine. Is that, a, is that a mistake or what is this? No, you came up with that oh, title, <laughs> you know, and we just all said, okay, if Let's Scott's do doing it, we'll do it. But it is kind of a cool thing because we've talked a lot about advancing the cause of Christ. And, and the idea was that coming out of this last year, like we're really rethinking a lot of things. I mean, I mean, when you think of the gospel and you think of the ministry of Jesus and how it affects life and culture, I think a lot of us have rethought things. So we're like re reimagining what this life of Christ might look like moving forward. So it's kind so, of, I like it. It's kind of it's gonna be cool. It's going to be a good yeah. journey. It's actually going to be a summer long series going through the times that Jesus reimagined the world as it could be and should be. So just kind of think, if you're familiar somewhat with the life and ministry of Jesus, think of the times where Jesus reimagined what could be in the world. He was facing a lot of trouble, a lot of violence, a lot of oppression, uh, a lot of mistreating people and abusing people. And there were times in his life by what he taught and how he lived where he said, you know what, it doesn't have to stay this way. Let's reimagine the world as it could be and should be. And so we're walking that journey with Jesus, reimagining the yes. world as it could be. So we're re reimagining with Jesus. Make sense? I like it. But yeah, I like anyway. it too. It's right. good. <laughs> well, let's do it. And it starts with Jesus' baptism. Yeah. At the very beginning of his ministry, he is baptized. Yeah. And honestly, that's a confusing moment for a lot of people. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of, even scholars, like kind of, so we, we kind of been reading through it this week and just kind of saying, what is the basic things you see here? Why did Jesus need to get baptized? And John, if you guys don't know, John the Baptist uh, is like a relative of Jesus. Right. So we, it's like a cousin or a second cousin or something like that. We don't know. Did they know each other? I mean, we know their moms knew each other and had interaction, but things were different back then. Yeah, they were pregnant at the same time. Yeah, so it's possible the they knew time. each other, but yeah. you don't know. But you know, and they might have lived like my sister lives 60 miles away, and I can call her and FaceTime with her and go visit her. If you lived 60 miles away back in this time, you might never have even seen a person <laughs> right. or knew they existed. So John the Baptist is a, just an interesting character. Jesus goes to John. It's just, an, it's just a, there's a lot to think about in this, and it'd there be is. fun. And just to be real clear, uh, the Baptist wasn't his last name. No. <laughs> <laughs> I found that to be funny. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, he is a baptizer. So he was this really yeah. eccentric, wild man. Yeah. You can just kind of think of, of uh, you know, the stereotypical guy living out off the grid, and he's covered in camel hair and eating bugs eating and bugs screaming and, yeah. at everybody. Yes. Right? So he's like this weird prophet in the desert, but he was making some noise. His message was so powerful that yeah. people from the cities were coming to him. All right? It says all people were just yeah. flocking to him. So like, we should scream more. Maybe that's <laughs> what we need to do. You know, but yeah, the guy was just yelling and screaming and, and preaching and, and people were flocking and so many different people too oh, yeah. uh, were flocking, which is pretty so fascinating. So he was uh, uh, drawing the peasants, kind of the commoners. Yeah. These are the poor people under the oppressive regime of the Roman empire who had invaded but there were also some high up people, the tax collectors who had a position of authority to collect tax. Uh, there were the soldiers that were coming to him. There were the religious leaders coming to him. And uh, just to, to either check it out or to actually walk a road of repentance. And that's the word that John the baptizer uses is repent. And that's a big, you know, kind of spiritual yeah. word. And we have this imagination of, uh, you know, a preacher up there, red faced, angry, repent, repent. And that's kind of what he was doing. Yeah. And if we look at what he was asking people to repent of, we find a common thread. So here, here it goes. This is Luke 3, 11. John the baptizer replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. He's calling people to repent from essentially self-centeredness. 
Now, these are largely poor people who don't have a lot of clothes and don't have a lot of food. But John is saying, hey, listen, you have what you need and a little bit more. You need to give some away. And then here's the tax collectors uh, paid by the Romans to take from their own people. And he says this, he says, collect no more taxes than the government requires. Don't steal. And then here comes the soldiers, likely uh, temple guards, and they've got the badge, they've got the uh, armor, and they've been misusing their authority. So Jesus says to them, don't extort money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. And then religious leaders come, and Steve, tell and us about that yeah. whole thing. And the religious leaders don't ask them what they're supposed to do. Right. <laughs> they just come in and are kind of looking down on, on what's going on. But if you look at and you read, and I encourage you guys, man, read the stories. It's in every single gospel is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you have this story of Jesus' baptism. And like, that should make our eyes and our ears perk, right? Because not every story is in every one of these books, but this one is. And one of the things he does, which is very similar to what Jesus does, is he kind of goes after the religious leaders. And if you talk, he talks about, like after he encourages those, (laughs) then he says, now there are some weeds that are among the wheat. And there are those. So you have these poor people, you have these tax collectors, you have these soldiers all come and saying, how can we grow into this kingdom? And then he says, man, but we're gonna separate. There's gonna be a separation between the wheat and the weeds. And those weeds are the religious leaders. And it's that kingdom that was been built from this top-down kingdom. Because one of my favorite lines from John, which is the same one from Jesus, is repent because the kingdom of God is near. Like this good news, this new kingdom is coming and this new kingdom that's gonna flip this whole system upside down. So you see the humility of a lot of people, not so much the religious leaders that are kind of looking down on what he's doing because baptism, you look in the Old Testament, baptism isn't in there, not how John's doing it. This is something new, right? There's something new. I mean, the Old Testament talks about water. So, so th- there's the mikvah, which is this, this word baptism from the Hebrew point of view. And it's the idea of, of, of being immersed typically in water for cleansing and renewal, right? right? And so you see that in the story of the flood. You see that in the Red Sea. You see that in the, the River Jordan, that there's a walking through of water. You also see that in the temple rituals where high priests are going to give sacrifices to God on behalf of the people. And they go to this basin and they, they go through this mikvah, which is a washing of their hands and the water's got to flow a certain way. So they had this kind of understanding that, that the cleansing of water is an important symbol in their relationship right. with God but not the way John the baptizer was doing it. So he, he was bringing a whole new yeah, system. Yeah, it's, it's not in the temple, right? right? He's out in the desert. People are going out to him by droves and the religi- religious leaders go out and they're just kind of looking down on him, you right. know? And so here comes Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, and Jesus comes and it is a cool story. When Jesus comes to John, the first thing that John does as he recognizes, I mean, John talks about this Isaiah passage, like I'm the one in the wilderness. I'm, I'm bringing the Messiah, the, this the savior. king, the savior to come. And when, so when he sees Jesus and recognizes him as the lamb of God, John might be my favorite I, I take on it. Yeah. The lamb of God who's gonna take away the sins of the world. He says, no way, Jesus, <laughs> not I am not baptizing you. Are you crazy, you know? And, and Jesus has to sit there and say, sorry, dude, yes, you are. And this needs to happen. And there's a lot of questions about why this needs to happen. Well, and we have re- it all figured out. Let me read the passage, Matthew uh, 3, 15. Yeah. Like you said, Jesus, I got that. Jesus comes to John. John says, no way this is happening. You're the savior. John recognized that. And Jesus basically says, yes, I am. And yes, I don't need to be baptized, but I'm going to. Jesus replied, let it be so now. 
it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus says, I don't need to be baptized. I don't need to be one of these people who need to repent of their sins and turn from their ways in order to follow this new king and this new kingdom. Jesus says, yes, I am the king. I am the savior. I am the Messiah. I am bringing in a new kingdom, but I'm not coming up here. I'm coming down here. So Jesus says, I'm going to kneel before you, John. And John's like, no way you are. Jesus says, oh, yes, I am. Yeah. And then John says, no way. And Jesus says, yes, way. And he basically says, let's do this. And I love the intimacy of that passage. He says, we are going to do this to fulfill what's right for everyone. Jesus made himself an everyone. Mm. And I love that idea that he made himself low. The Catholic Church actually has us a great take on the baptism of Jesus because the Catholic Church understands, uh, I think more than, than the non-Catholic world, is that this suffering Savior really is what identifies him with all of us. Yeah. One uh, scholar says this, Christ's gracious uh, condescension are so surprising that even the strongest believers at first can hardly believe them. So deep and mysterious that even those who know his mind well are apt to start objections against the will of Christ. And we see this a lot. Yeah. Jesus says, I've got to be at the bottom. And his followers say, nope, you've got to be at the top. So Jesus says to John, I've got to be at the bottom. I've got to identify with sinners. Even though I'm not a sinner, I have to identify with sinners. I am an everyone. No, you're not. Yes, I am. He says to Peter, I'm going to be crucified. Peter says, no, you're not. Jesus says, yes, I am. Get behind me, Satan. Get behind you know, me, Satan. You don't know what you're talking right. about. Yeah, yeah it is. It's, and man, this week when you talked about that idea of him kneeling before his like cousin or just yeah. this weird guy, what a, humbly, a humble picture that is. I mean, any of you that have been baptized, right? We get people call all the time, like, will you baptize? I want our pastor to baptize us. It's like, baptism's a big deal. Yeah. And so for Jesus to come and humbly say, and to identify sinners, guys, don't let that like just slip away. That's a, that's a big, I mean, just he might've had this conversation with John, but you have all these people on the countryside that are watching, oh, here's a sinner just like us. Right. And Jesus is never like a, well, I'm not really. He was called like a drunkard. He was called people that hang out with tax collectors. All the people hated in society throughout Jesus's life. He reimagines this new kingdom, this kingdom where the king is a suffering servant and he serves from the bottom. You, we talked about that. You've talked about that. I remember when we did the creed and it was yeah. all, all about upside down, flipping everything upside down. And again, the religious leaders are ready for a king to come in, wipe out Rome, wipe out all their enemies. And we are now victorious. Right. And he comes and he goes to the bottom and ultimately gets wiped out. And well, it's just such a crazy story. Let's Beautiful. read a bit of that creed. That's all, all out of Philippians 2, right. 6 and 7. It is that creed in the, in the epistles, the letters in the New Testament. And it says this, this is Jesus now, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or clung onto to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Made in human likeness, not up here, but down here. Always associating with the sinner, associating with the lowest, associating with the outcast. That was true at his birth, it was true at his baptism, and it's true at his death. And so this creed in Philippians 2 goes on to say he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, the worst possible imaginable death uh, that would be perpetrated against the worst possible imaginable human. That's the route that Jesus took. Mm -hmm. So he was reimagining humanity itself. Jesus reimagined humanity not as a self-centered quest for the top, but an other-centered life of service from the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Each service you've been talking about that reimagining humanity. 
And I think sometimes we miss that, that Jesus came to show us like how to truly be human and what it means. He says, I came to give life in that in the fullness. And so his example was an example for us to really reimagine this life and how life could be different if we were to put ourselves under, as we are to serve right. under. And, uh, you know, and so I'm so excited about yeah. this re-reimagine each week. Oh, and I just encourage you guys, if you want, man, open up your Bibles to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Maybe just start reading a chapter or so. Read the red letters. I mean, I know that yeah. sounds like, oh, the red letters, you know, <laughs> but the red letters are the words of Jesus. And I think over the next month or two, if we could just kind of get ourselves focusing on what Jesus came, what that kingdom looks like, what's the upside down kingdom looks like, we will be advancing be the cause of Christ For and sure. could be doing some amazing things. And uh, as we talked about, the baptism is sort of the bookend of the beginning of his ministry, which was humility, kneeling, being submerged, yeah. the path of a sinner. The end of his ministry is the crucifixion. Yeah. On a cross, the path of the sinner. From his baptism to the cross, the humility of Jesus to say the Son of God, the fullness of deity, is going to take the path of the least among us. He is all of us, with all of our struggles, with all of our failures even. He chose to walk the road of identifying with us. But a couple things happened after his baptism. Two things. We see this in Matthew 3.16. After his baptism, Jesus came up out of the water. The heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. There was the dove and the proclamation from heaven. Let's talk about the dove for a minute. Just to be clear, a dove did not descend on Jesus. I know that might blow your mind from Sunday school, but we see kind of the Sunday school images or artist depictions or movies and a dove is falling from heaven to sit on Jesus. A dove did not fall on, on Jesus. The spirit did. And all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, use the same phrase, the Spirit descended on Jesus, quote, like a dove. Why is it that all four authors who are approaching the life of Jesus from four different points of view, why did they all write about his baptism, and why did they all use that exact same phrase, which is very rare in the four Gospels, that the Spirit descended like a dove? I think the key to that is what Steve talked about earlier, that this was an upside-down kingdom, an upside-down king. This was not anything that was normally understood as power or kingdom or authority or rule. When, when the people of Israel talked about Savior and Messiah and king, they did not have a dove in mind. I can guarantee you that. A dove represents gentleness. A dove represents peace. And so when the people of Israel were looking for a savior Messiah, they were not looking for gentleness. They were not looking for peace. But the only time Jesus ever described his own character, those are the words he used. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, let me teach you because I am humble and gentle in heart and you will find rest for your souls. That's why Jesus came. He didn't come to bring turmoil. He didn't come to bring warfare. He didn't come to bring any kind of earthly power. He came to bring humility and gentleness so that we all can experience peace and rest. And so the spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove. What they wanted from Jesus is the spirit to descend like a lion. They wanted the lion. They don't want a dove. They wanted the lion. They wanted what the Old Testament 
uh, foresaw as the lion of Judah. And in their head, it was this angry creature right here with massive teeth that was going to rip apart the Roman Empire with bloodshed and warfare and expand the borders of Israel, the military borders, the political borders of Israel. When they had Savior, Messiah, King in mind, it was like a lion. That's what they wanted. And here comes Jesus kneeling in front of John the baptizer as the lowest among us, identifying with sinners, ending his ministry on a cross. Jesus was like a dove, the symbol of the spirit of God, the symbol of gentleness and peace. And that's exactly what God offers through Jesus Christ. Now, some of us might think, wow, a dove sure seems weak, right? Lion seems Strong. A dove seems weak. But I love how um, St. Francis de Salas says that nothing is so strong as gentleness. Nothing is so strong as gentleness. And that might tweak us a little bit. Because when we think of strength, we might think of, you know, moving forward with power, moving forward with brute force, moving forward with any, you know, human strength, whether it be military strength or political strength. When we think of strength, we think of, of that kind of human power moving forward on people or against people. And that is exactly what they wanted. And that is exactly not what Jesus was about. He was like a dove. He was coming in gentleness and peace, but gentleness takes the most strength of all because the reality is harshness is easy. Harshness is a piece of cake. Harshness is our reflex. It's an instinct, right? You go to the doctor. I don't know if they do this anymore, but old days, you know, you, you sit on the table and they take a little hammer and they uh, do this and your, your leg does that, right? It's just this reflex. It, it's instinct. Harshness is a reflexive instinct. I want to get my way, so I'm going to be harsh to people who are in my path, right? I want to get ahead, so I'm going to be harsh to people who are standing in my way. I'm right, so I'm going to be harsh to those who disagree. I'm attacked, so I'm going to be harsh to my attackers. That is all just natural human instinct. Harshness is a piece of cake. It might feel like power, but it's frankly weakness at its heart. Gentleness takes the hard work. Gentleness takes the hard work. Try stopping harshness when somebody comes against you, right? That is the hardest thing of all. I mean, if you're in your home and somebody like attacks you or somebody disagrees with you, well, we'll attack back and we'll disagree back. And all of a sudden, three seconds later, we're screaming at each other, right? That's, that's just harshness and that's instinct and it's easy. Try having a fight start in your house and to say, you know what? This is kind of getting a little out of hand. Let's walk a road of peace right now. <laughs> it's hard when you're all amped up in chemicals, right? And, and your, your fight or flight instincts are going and you want to win that argument. You want to get your way. It's hard, to, it's hard to back off of that and to say, let's not choose the path of harshness. Let's choose the path of peace here. Let's take a step back. Let's think. Let's take a walk. Jesus was like a dove, not like a lion, pursuing peace, pursuing gentleness. Jesus was gentle even through his arrest. The temple guards come to arrest Jesus unjustly for a crime he did not commit. Now, he did remind them. He says, hey, just for the record, with a word, I can destroy all y'alls, but I'm not going to. So Jesus knew who he was. He was confident in who he was. Even before John the Baptist, he says, yes, you're right. I am the Messiah. I am the Savior. I am the King. And I know I don't need to be baptized, but I'm going to. As he's being arrested, he says, listen, I don't need to go with you. 
I'll send legions after your butts and we'll end this now, but I'm not gonna do that. I'm walking the road of gentleness. I'm walking the path of a dove. Jesus was gentle even through six unjust trials through the night as he was falsely accused. Jesus was gentle through beatings and torture. Jesus was gentle through the flogging that shred the skin on his back. Jesus was gentle through mockery being spit upon and abused. Jesus was gentle as he carried his cross through the streets. Jesus was gentle as they pierced his hands and feet with nails. Jesus was gentle even after he was stripped naked and lifted up in front of all of Jerusalem. Jesus was gentle even as he forgave his murderers. Jesus was gentle as he said his last phrase, it is finished. Jesus was gentle as he breathed his last breath and gave up his spirit. Jesus was gentle through it all. He came as a dove, not a lion. And it was the gentleness of Jesus that caused his murderer to look up and say this. The centurion saw, get this, how he died and said, surely this man was the son of God. How did Jesus die? Humility and gentleness to bear the corruption and the evil of the world, all of it was focused right on Jesus and he gave himself humbly to it all the beginning of his ministry, baptized as a sinner, at the end of his ministry, crucified as a sinner, when he himself had no sin to atone for, he was the perfect atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world because of how he loved, because how he reimagined humanity itself could be. Not a self-centered quest for the top, but an others-centered desire to serve and to give and to sacrifice. And there's nothing weak about that. It is pure strength. And so we have our own reimagining to do about our own lives even, right? This isn't just going to be an academic study of how Jesus reimagined the world as it could be. This is really a personal thing as well. How can I reimagine my own life? How can I be more and more like Jesus to help shape the world to be more and more like the world he imagined it could be? So we can ask ourselves, are, are we more like lions or doves? Just do a little self-evaluation. This is not to lay guilt trip, but this is just to have a sober evaluation of our own life and our own priorities and our own values. Just do a little journey through the last week of your life. Are you more like a dove or a lion? So if I were to take my little iPad here and follow you around for the week, or if you were to take uh, your iPad, follow me around for a week, do you have some lion moments? You might've been harsh. You might've snapped back at somebody. Might've yelled at somebody, you know, needlessly. You might have kind of got back at somebody, maybe gossiped about somebody. Where, where, where were you putting yourself at the top, kind of imposing your way? Where were you more like a lion? Where was I more like a lion? And where were you like a dove? Where were you just deferring? You know what? Let's do your thing right now. You came after me. I'm not coming after you. And you hate you might have thought you're not worth it, but you didn't come after them. Where were you bringing peace in the world? Online, were you more like a, a lion? Hey, I'm going to be real courageous behind my keyboard, right? Or were you bringing peace online? Hey, let's really kind of think through some things. Let's believe the best in people for a change. You're more like a lion or more like a dove? The Spirit of God descended on Jesus like a dove, and that same Spirit descends on us. And we see in, in the scripture, we have a lot to say about how the spirit rules or doesn't rule. The spirit of Christ is on us. The spirit of Christ is in us. The spirit of Christ is a gift freely given to all of us 
who followed Jesus, but whether we walk by the Spirit or not is really up to us. And I'm going to encourage all of us to walk in the Spirit of Christ, to walk in the Spirit of peace, to walk in the Spirit of that, that dove, and not shred people like a lion, not to impose power like a lion, but to be humble and gracious like a dove. I love this little interaction. I find it quite funny. It's between two of followers of Jesus, James and John. And in other accounts, they have their mommy alongside of them, which, you know, is great. Mark 10, love mommies, but when two grown men bring their mommy alongside in order to impose their own power, it looks a little silly. James and John said to Jesus, we want you to do us a favor. When you sit on your glorious throne, Jesus, they're thinking, glorious throne, line of Judah, Jesus is going to tear apart all enemies. He's going to be at the top of the top of the top. When you sit on your glorious throne, Jesus, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and one on your left. And Jesus, I'm sure, is thinking to himself as he's shaking his head, you have no idea. Do you know how I was born in a barn in Bethlehem? Do you know how I was baptized on my knees in the Jordan River with this crazy prophet John the baptizer? Do you know how I'm living my life? I'm seeking the bottom here, buddy. I'm not seeking the top. So Jesus does what Jesus does and just kind of asks a question in return. You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to, get this, be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, we're going to the bottom here. We're holding hands and going to the bottom. Are you with me? I love John chapter 2. I won't get into it right now, but Jesus speaks about we're here going to the bottom and people bailed. Because human instinct, human nature says we're getting to the top. We like the lion. We're getting to the top, right? And then we actually use God to help us get to the top. So our prayer life, God, do this for me. God, do this for me. God, do this for me, please. Can I get this open door and this open door and get me here and get me here and fix this and fix this for me? That's a lot of our prayer life, and I understand it. But when we look at what Jesus reimagined humanity to be, maybe our prayer life looks a little different. God says, you know, I want to hear the cares of your heart, right? Not going to answer all of them the way you like, (laughs) but I want to hear from you. I love you. But how about praying for the success of others? How about being at the bottom and say, you know what? I've got this friend. Could you help them? You know what? God, how about you help me become a light to the world around me? Help me walk the path of a servant of other people. Would you help me to live for the betterment of the world around me? Would you give me the capacity to bear more burdens of more people so that I can help them? How about that becomes our prayer? That's the path of the dove. And I'm telling you, some of you, I know you're shaking your head going, that's not me. I can't see myself living that kind of life. And listen, I get that. In many ways, I can identify with that. I mean, I want to be successful. There's nothing wrong with that. I like to get my way on occasion. (laughs) I like to win arguments. I get all this stuff, right? I'm a little bit of an entrepreneur at heart. I'm a little bit of, I would rather be successful than a failure, right? I get the drive. And I also get what it's like having the lion pop up and you mistreat people along the way, and you hurt people along the way. I've been there, I've done that. My own personal journey, I I never lose my temper. I like never to lose my temper. 
And some people think that's a good thing. Well, there's a dark side to that. I don't lose my temper, but I could use this tongue like a scalpel (laughs) to destroy people. And I've done that in the past. And I'm very capable of doing it again. All of us have that line, whether it's a temper or whether it's a tongue, or even in our thought life, we can be very self-absorbed. But I I think perhaps we need to walk the road with Jesus again and re-reimagine what humanity can be and kind of think in our heads, how about I get baptized in my own heart, maybe even right now, get on my knees in my own heart and to be cleansed. And to reimagine what it's like to be baptized, to be cleansed of our self-centeredness and to emerge from that baptism water and imagine the Holy Spirit descending on us like a dove because the same spirit that descended on Jesus is the same spirit that descended on us. God, help me to walk in that spirit. And there's, then there's this beautiful declaration from heaven. This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. That same declaration that came on Jesus is the same declaration that comes on you. God the Father looks at you right here, right now, even with all of your false flaws and failures and sins, with all my faults, farts, flaws, failures and sin, God looks upon me and says, you're my perfect son. He looks upon you and says, you're my perfect son. You're my perfect daughter. And that's a gift of grace. Jesus was the perfect by right. We are declared perfect as a gift. And that gift was given to us by the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus and the spirit of Christ that still lives today in us and through us. We're gonna close our time with communion. Um, hopefully you picked up a, uh, a communion cup. If you didn't, just raise your hand and we will get that to you. We are calling these the COVID communion cups and um, they're gonna be with us probably for a few more months and then we'll get back to normal. The very top is a very thin piece of plastic where you can get the the bread and then of course the juice underneath that. But take that bread out and you can hold it if you'd like. Jesus shared a meal with his disciples. It was the Passover meal. It was the meal that reminded the Jews that they were delivered from slavery. And that meal involved the bread, it involved the wine. And when Jesus took the bread of the Passover, he broke it. And he said, the reason why I'm breaking it is because this from now on will remind you of my body broken for you. This communion will remind you that the Savior, the Messiah, the King, the fully incarnate God himself walked the path of a sinner, was crucified in humility and humiliation to the point of his body being ripped apart on that cross And he says, this is the proof of how much I love you. Take this broken bread and eat it in remembrance of me. Then Jesus took the wine of the Passover. And he said, this is not just a a drink in this magnificent feast. This is a symbol reminding you of the price I am paying to bring in this new kingdom. He says, I'm bringing in a a new covenant in my blood, meaning it's only by grace, it's only by the sacrifice of the Savior, the Son of God, the fullness of deity, it's only by my blood shed that you will understand and know 
that from this day forward, we are only in a right standing with God by grace through my love that has brought me to this sacrifice, to this cross. So Jesus says, take this and drink this in remembrance of me. Know that the same spirit that came on Jesus like a dove is the same spirit that has come upon you. Walk in that spirit. Be a person of peace. Know today that the same proclamation that was on Jesus, this is my beloved child who I dearly love, and you bring me great joy. That same proclamation right now, I believe, is reverberating across the heavens towards you and towards me. We didn't earn it, but received it as a grace, as a gift of grace because of what Jesus did for us by his life, death, and resurrection. 